Well, thanks, worship team. What a great way to start our weekend together. I want to add my words to them and to Lincoln and Jenny. Welcome to Fall Conference. Thank you for putting aside your weekend to be with us. If you would turn in your packets to pages 14 and 15, that will set you up well for our first session. So it was 43 years ago tonight that I was at the opening session of my first fall conference. It was my, my sophomore year, just a few months after I had become a Christian at Lafayette College. Now back then, we were not meeting in the ballroom of the Hilton. Oh no, we were in a classroom on the beautiful campus of Kutztown University. That night, I still remember, worship was led by one guy with a guitar. Media consisted of a single overhead projector. If you don't know what that is, just Google it. <laughs> and the topic, as I recall, was simply this. It was knowing Jesus. And, you know, looking back, it was a key weekend for me because at that point it helped me to work through my very new and honestly very uncomfortable relationship with Jesus Christ. So let me explain. See, my, my journey to knowing Jesus began very unexpectedly, uh, literally with, with three knocks on the door of my dorm room at Lafayette during the first week of my freshman year. And, and I still remember the night I had just gotten back from dinner, was settling in to do homework, and it happened. I opened the door. There were two guys there. They said, hi, would you like to come to a meeting of the Lafayette Christian Fellowship? And I still remember I said, no, I'm not interested. Thank you very much and I shut the door. This happened five weeks in a row. <laughs> the same time, <laughs> the same day, the same two guys, the same three knocks, and the same invitation to Christian fellowship. These guys were persistent, and they were predictable, but guess what? So was I. <laughs> because my answer to them was always the same. Sorry, I'm not interested. You see, I have been taught by my parents that at least in our culture, saying I'm not interested meant I'm not interested. <laughs> in other words, it meant no. Don't ask again. Thank you for your time. Don't call me. I'll call you. And up until that point in my life, Saying I'm not interested had always worked. It had, it had worked with salesmen and telemarketers. It had even worked with Girl Scouts selling their cookies. I, I'm sorry if I crossed a line there. Sorry, sorry. I, I still like Thin Mints. but uh. So I'm not interested had always worked in the past, but not with these two guys. And so, finally, in anticipation of their fifth visit, I decided to escalate my response. I decided to go to DEFCON 4. 
In other words, no more Mr. Nice Mark. This time, they would get the message, they would get it loud and clear. I even rehearsed it. Ready? I'm not interested. Don't come back again. Let me tell you, I was primed and I was ready for their visit. But... That night, something happened between my DEFCON 4, no more Mr. Nicemark speech, and what came out of my mouth when I opened the door after their three knocks. I actually heard myself saying this. Okay, so if I come to one of your Christian meetings, will you stop coming to my door? <laughs> I don't know who was more shocked, them <laughs> or me. Which is how... I found myself that Friday evening at a Christian fellowship meeting. That, if you had told me a few weeks earlier that I would give up partying on a Friday night on campus to attend this sort of thing, I would have laughed in your face. Because you see, I was a partier. Big time. I, I had been the obedient son at home, but when I got to college, well, uh, no more of that. And my goal at college was to start fresh. No one from my high school had gone to Lafayette, and the school had been voted at the time the third top drinking school in the nation. Makes sense, because at that point, there were 17 fraternities and 13 sororities on a campus of 2,000 students. Now you know why I chose Lafayette. <laughs> now at that point as well, the drinking age in Pennsylvania was still 18. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and every night except Sunday for some reason, there were at least three to four fraternities on tap, which meant free beer and open containers of grain alcohol for the taking and the drinking. And I and my squad visited at least one and most often more than one every night of the week. But on that particular Friday night, I found myself sitting in a slightly stuffy room with about 50 to 60 other students who were singing Christian songs and praying like someone was listening, sharing what they called testimonies and listening to some guy talk about a passage in the Bible. Friends, I, I was overwhelmed I was intrigued, and I was hooked. Like, a, like an unsuspecting fish that's being pursued by a very skilled angler, the gospel hook had been set in my mouth, and I was slowly but surely being drawn into the boat of knowing and following Jesus Christ. 
Now, now I, w- I want to be clear. There, there were ups and downs all that year. Maybe like some of you, I, I fought the hook. And, and I strained against the line. I was uninterested in the gospel and preoccupied with other things while at the same time being stirred by the Bible and attracted by the lives of those Christians. And finally, in, in the spring of that year, I was drawn in. Jesus Christ landed me in his boat. I became a Christian. And friends, my life has never been the same. Jesus Christ had mercy on a very persistent, I'm not interested, freshman. And to this day, I am just so profoundly grateful. So that's my story. How does it perhaps connect with you and you being here at Fall Conference? You know, for many of you here tonight, my story might sound eerily familiar. And that's why when when you hear people say, hey, I found Jesus, you know deep down actually he was the one who found you. You were uninterested and resistant and antagonistic. Even you were apathetic. And Jesus, he went after you? And now... You're just thrilled to be one of his, and for you, this weekend at Fall Conference is just another opportunity to rejoice in the grace of the gospel, to reach out to someone like you and brought you in. It's a time, once again, to dig in and to be sent out. You can't wait for this weekend. Now, others of you, that connection may be that you have moved, maybe even very recently, from I'm not interested to increasingly involved and intrigued. In some ways, many of you are very surprised that you're at Fall Conference. You wouldn't have thought this two months ago. You're you're clearly not in the boat of Christ's kingdom, at least not yet, but you feel the hook in your jaw. And you feel that sort of gentle tug of the line. And maybe for you, this weekend is a chance to hear more about a Savior who moves toward the hard to catch and the uninterested. Now, others of you, this third group, I I, I just call you sort of seasoned veterans. Maybe you, you can't remember being uninterested in the gospel because it's what you've grown up with or you've been around for, for so long. And, and while some of us are amazed by God's grace, perhaps your temptation is to be far too familiar with God's grace. And for you, maybe this weekend may provide the time to have your interest rekindled and your love for Christ Reignited. But I tell you, that, that, that sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? How is God going to do that in our midst? Well, we're going to do what I recall doing at my first fall conference 43 years ago. Because it never gets old. We're going to look at Jesus Christ. And, and, and as we look at him and his word, we are going to see something, friends, that is astounding. 
And it's this. He is more passionate about, passionate about welcoming us in, either once again or for the first time, than we could ever, ever imagine. And so as, as Lincoln and, and Jenny reminded us of a, a number of minutes ago, in our four main sessions in Luke chapter 5, we're going to see Jesus on display as he encounters four unlikely people. Someone who is uninterested. That's tonight. Tomorrow morning, someone who is unloved. Tomorrow night, someone who is unable. And then Sunday morning, someone who is unrighteous. And what you're going to find is this, that those are the people that Jesus seeks after and finds and he welcomes in. See, here's the astonishment of the gospel. Jesus is interested in the uninterested. He pursues them, and he not only pursues them, but he, but he welcomes them, and he commissions them to a whole new way of life. Look, if you, if you would, with me to that quote, right at the top of your outline by Dane Ortland. Look at what he wrote. Time and again, it is the morally offensive, the socially reviled, the inexcusable and undeserving and disinterested and preoccupied who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates. That's what we're going to see. And Jesus not only gravitates toward them, but he rescues them. And he calls them into his service and his kingdom. And we're going to begin tonight in our passage. We're going to see that Simon moves from being a busy, preoccupied fisher of fish to a sold-out fisher of men. And let me tell you, only the gospel can do something like that. So let's find out how as we begin fall conference. Let me pray. God, thank you for the grace of the gospel that your interest is in those who are so often uninterested. Father, we've been reminded in, in worship that you love us because of Christ. Help us to see that displayed in the pages of Scripture as you reach out to someone who was so busy and uninterested and brought him into your kingdom. Would that sort of echo into even our life here tonight? Give us ears to hear your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me read the passage. It's Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large 
number of fish and their nets were breaking and so they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. Wow, this is God's word. Look at your outline, if you would. I'm going to walk through an unlikely command and then these, these two shocking responses from Simon and then three truths that just compel us from this passage. So, so first, one, one unlikely command. Now let, me, let me set up the passage. Now, just before the passage begins, as chapter 4 of Luke came to a close, Jesus said this about his mission. Listen to what he said. It says, the people sought Jesus and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. To the other towns as well. I was sent for this purpose. Okay, so Jesus made it clear, I came to preach. That's why he was sent. And this is a key moment. Why? Because up until that point, the crowd had only been interested in Jesus for one thing. His miracles. In fact, it says in chapter 4, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. But as chapter 5 opens, everything has shifted. Look at the first verse there of chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, here it is, to hear the word of God. Now, the crowd was now interested in something else. They, they were pressing in on him to hear the word of God. They come to listen. It's, it sort of reminds me of our weekend here at Fall Conference. Now, it's what Jesus did next. It sets up the drama of the passage. In response to the crowds that were gathering to listen to him, he made a tactical decision. Look at verse 2. It says, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, were washing their nets, getting into the little boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So, so there it is. In order to be heard by all these people, Jesus got into one of the two boats that were moored nearby, and they then had Simon, who we know as Peter, push out a bit from the land. And she could probably guess that this move would form a natural stage for Jesus. The water would bounce or reflect his voice to the crowds. Now, I just want you to notice three details from that scene. Notice there were two boats. So one belonged to Simon. And as Luke fills us in in verse 10, one belonged to James and John. Those three were in business together. That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to notice is even, even though the crowds 
had gathered to listen, notice Peter, James, and John were busy with other tasks. At the end of verse 2, we are told that they were washing their nets. And and then finally, verse 3, we're told that Jesus got into Simon's boat, where he sat down and he began to teach. And again, if you're familiar with the previous chapter, Jesus had sat down and taught in a synagogue. So he does the same here. So you have to picture it. There's like a little lakeside synagogue with a floating pulpit with Jesus teaching. So, so here's the scene. Crowds of people had gathered to listen. They had interrupted their routines to come and listen to Jesus. And then there were fishermen nearby. And they're tired after a long night of just hard and fruitless labor. While the crowd was eagerly listening, here's the drama, they were busy watching, washing. Now, I just want to stop for a moment, and i got to ask you a question. Can you find yourself in that scene at all tonight? Think about it this way. Maybe you are like those in that crowd You've come here to listen. Most other things in life are on hold. You're you're not sure maybe what to expect, but you know that Jesus most often has things that are worth listening to. But perhaps some of you are more like the fishermen. In other words, you've come to fall conference after a, a long week, maybe even a long couple of weeks, And at this point, you've worked hard, you're tired, and honestly, your nets feel pretty empty. Maybe you feel relationally empty, or spiritually empty, or academically empty. Like you thought by now, You'd have landed some fish. There'd be something to show for all of your labors, but nothing. And and maybe, like those fishermen, you're you're just busy. You're, You're preoccupied. It looks like you're here, but your mind is on other things. I mean, there's still nets to wash and labs to write and assignments to finish and books to read and exams to study for. Maybe that's you. And I want to suggest to you that could it be that like Simon, Jesus is about to step into your boat tonight. Okay, that's the scene. Now notice what happens right after teaching the crowds. Jesus turns to Simon and he issues a most unlikely command. And you see it right there in verse 4. It says, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now notice what Luke is doing. It all begins with this scene change. So Luke moves from this wide angle lens to a narrow focus on one boat and one interaction with one man named Simon. And Luke's already made it clear from verse 5, these guys have been out all night and had caught nothing. It had been a long night of failure and frustration. I mean, these guys, between their two boats, had not even caught one fish. And and now it's, it's daytime. 
And we learned in verse 2 that one task remained before they could call this failure of a night done. They had to wash their nets. And James and John were, were still at it. Simon had all put it on pause so that he could bring Jesus away from the shore. And I don't know about you, but, but if I were Simon, I would have been thinking as Jesus is teaching the crowds, we done yet? Like, we done yet? I got things to do before I can get home. I got nets to wash. And it's at that moment that Jesus spoke not to the crowds, but to Simon and said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Listen, friends, you, you, you got to put yourself in that scene. Not only is it daytime, which was the wrong time to fish in that region, not only are you tired and frustrated, but the guy given the order is a carpenter turned rabbi. <laughs> if I were Peter or Simon, I'd say, seriously? <laughs> it's like, imagine you're an engineering major. And you just pulled an all-nighter at the lab, and you got, you got nothing to show for it. And as you make your way back to your room to grab some sleep, a friend of yours, a history major, no less, <laughs> sees you and just drops this pearl of wisdom on you. Hey, you thought about spending a bit more time in the lab? <laughs> no, thanks, buddy, thanks. All right, that's the setup. All of which leads to two shocking responses from Simon. That's your second point. Simon's first response to this most unlikely command from Jesus is in verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word... I will let down the nets. Now, I want you to notice something. First, look at the first word that Simon used. Master. Listen, friends, don't miss this. This is huge. Listen, you, you've watched enough movies, you know enough about history to realize that on a boat or a ship, the captain is master. His word is law. There are only two ways that a boat got a new master. There's either mutiny within the ranks or the captain voluntarily hands over control. And do you realize that in that moment on his boat, Simon did the completely unexpected. He handed over control of his boat voluntarily. His fishing vessel now had a new master. It had, a, it had a new captain, and that captain's name was Jesus. And if that isn't amazing, again, look at the end of verse 5, what he says. At your word, I will let down the nets. You see, Simon knew that there was only one response when there was a new captain or master, and that master issued a command. You do it, because he's the master. At your word, I will let down the nets. 
even though we toiled all night and took nothing. At your word, I will let down the nets. This is huge. And friends, we need to stop for a moment and consider Peter's response. Because Peter got what some of us haven't gotten, which is this. Having Jesus as the master of your boat changes absolutely everything. You see, some of us say that Jesus is the master of our boat or our life, but in reality, can we just admit, he's actually more like a first mate or a special guest or maybe an advisor. We, we consider what he says, we, we weigh it carefully, but at the end of the day, my boat, it's my boat. It's my life. I'm the master. And this passage comes along and we see a picture of someone who gets it. Jesus, you're the master. I, I may not agree. I may not even understand. I know it's not the right time of the day to be fishing. And, and, and I'm really, really tired. And all the nets still need cleaning. But you're the master. And at your word, I'll let down the nets again. All of that leads to a question for all of us. Who's really the master of your life? I mean, really. Have you ever said, Jesus, at your word, I will commit my life to you even though I still don't have an answer to every question and every doubt. Jesus, at your word, I'll honor you with my sexuality and my desires and all of my dreams. Jesus, at your word, I will talk to my family and friends and neighbors and classmates and teammates about you, those who don't know you. Jesus, at your word, uh, I'm going to view my major through the lens of your kingdom rather than simply as an opportunity to, to build my own. Friends, we've got to be clear. Having Jesus as your master and not simply as your first mate is unbelievably hard. It is threatening. And let me tell you, it is hard and threatening for every single person in this room. If it isn't hard, then I don't think he's your master. So, so what, what do we do about that? Better yet, what does Jesus do about that? And that leads in our passage to Simon's second shocking response. Let me set it up for you. So notice in verses 6 and 7, Luke records that they caught the most astounding catch of fish ever hauled in on that lake. Look at what it says in verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they both began to sink. That's crazy. Wait, look at those details. 
a large number of fish. The nets were breaking. The catch filled both boats to such an extent that they began to sink. What's amazing is Simon might have been slow to obey. The fish clearly were not. <laughs> now, you might think that at that moment that Simon's business instincts would start to kick in. That he would look with new eyes at his master, Jesus, and he would get out a piece of papyrus and he'd form a long-term partnership with this guy. <laughs> Jesus, I see a great future for us. <laughs> you and me, let's fish for fish. Now, just to be fair, we'll, we'll split it down the middle, 50-50. Stay with me, Jesus. Don't leave. But no. Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now notice, Simon calls Jesus Lord, not Master. Why? Because... I think at that moment, Simon realized that the one who made the fish and the one who commanded the fish and the one whom the fish immediately obeyed was in his boat. And his response was not, stay with me, but depart from me, get away. See, Simon got a glimpse of glory and he was completely undone. Now, now, no doubt Simon knew enough of his Old Testament history to know that those who found themselves in the presence of God usually had one response, which was absolute terror. You see, that day, not only did a load of fish land on that boat, so did a load of glory. And Simon was utterly terrified. But I want you to notice there was not only glory on that boat, there was a whole lot of grace too. Look at verse 10. Catch this. Verse 10. <clears throat> so also are James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Here it is. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Is that unbelievable? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Simon. I, I haven't come to destroy you. I, I've come to save you. I haven't come to take your life. I've come to remake your life. That's what I'm doing. And friends, this is conversion. This is being hauled into the boat. This is the making of a disciple. Now, now some of you are overwhelmed by the power and the authority of the eternal God. You are absolutely terrified of giving Jesus control of your life. You don't mind him as first mate, but don't take the wheel. That's where you are. At the same moment that you are singing his praises, you're falling at his knees and just wanting him to go away. 
But you need to realize, as Simon will soon, as we'll see in the rest of this chapter, that this Jesus first came not to make demands of you, but to suffer and die for you. To suffer the penalty for all of your sins and hesitations and half-heartedness and disinterest. To suffer for all the times that you said to him, yo, I'm the master, back off. That's why it says in another gospel, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And one of the themes that you will see in Luke chapter 5 is that Jesus Christ sees people at their worst and still calls them to himself. And friends, because of the gospel, any glimpse of of terrifying glory can quickly become a moment of extravagant grace. What does that lead to on your outline? Three compelling truths. Three compelling truths. First, notice that this passage ends on a dramatic note. Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What happened? Simply this, Peter, James, and John realized that the master of the boat on the lake was also the master of their lives on the land. That changed everything. Friend, do you realize that? And in response, they left everything and followed Jesus. And as we wrap up our time in this passage, we, we have to ask this question, what does this all mean for us? I think three things. First, leave everything. You know, we, we see the example of that here in the response of Peter and James and John. Later on in Luke's gospel, Jesus made it even more clear when he said this to the crowds. If anyone comes to me and, and doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Friend, I don't know about you, this is an entertaining story, but it got very uncomfortable in verse 11. Because the end of verse 11 is very abrupt and it's very unsettling. They left everything and followed him. And you and I need to take a moment and feel the weight of that word. The word is everything. You know, I, I, uh, I googled the word everything. See, like you, when I come across something I know I'm supposed to do but don't want to, I look for wiggle room. Don't you? Yeah. I, I, I look for, for loopholes. The internet often provides them. In other words, I look for ways that the clear and the obvious don't apply to me. This is what everything means. Everything. Each item, each thing, every article, the whole lot, the entirety, the whole kit and caboodle, the whole shebang the whole ball of wax 
and the whole nine yards. Friends, leaving everything and following Jesus simply means this. There is a new master in your life, and it's Jesus Christ. Which means that life is no longer centrally about you or me or, and what we want. It's not about building our kingdom and hoping he blesses our efforts. It's about Jesus and his purposes and his plans. And so I, I need to ask you, has the call of Jesus and his ownership of your life, has it changed the way that you view and approach absolutely everything in your life because you are now under new management? Betty Stam was a single woman missionary to China many years ago. This is what she wrote in her journal. It's right on the bottom of your page. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept your will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to you to be yours forever. Fill me and seal me with your Holy Spirit. Use me as you will. Send me where you will and work out your whole will in my life at any cost. Now and forever. We are called to leave everything. Secondly, we're called to cast our nets. Cast your nets. Notice the call of Jesus in this passage to Simon and James and John. They were to move from catching fish to catching people. They, they were to move, they were to shift from moving fish from life to death to being ambassadors for Christ where people are moved from spiritual death to eternal life. Complete reversal. This, friends, is the call to make disciples. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to make him master, to be a disciple maker. Now, everyone doesn't need to join disciple makers, the organization. I mean, if you, if you want to, you talk to us. But, <laughs> but that's not his point. The point is this, that the call for every Christian is to become a disciple-maker, to, to view everything we do through the lens of reaching others for Christ and strengthening others in Christ, then sending them out to reach others. So let me ask you, are you fishing for people? Whether you're a first-year or a senior or an alumni or a member of the disciple-maker staff team, are you fishing for people? Whether it's a sports team or your major or club or your job or your residence hall floor. See, a real disciple we find here is a fisher of men and women. A disciple maker. I, and, and I'm emphasizing that for this reason. It's tempting to think that there are two levels in the Christian life. There are normal Christians and then, well, there are those who go out and make disciples. You know, the real serious ones. See, some people view the Christian life like buying a car online where you get to select your options package. It's like, yeah, I'll be a Christian and I'll, I'll do church most Sundays except when I'm tired or busy. And uh, yeah, I'll be a Christian, but uh, here's the deal. I keep my life and I'll just fill in some of the free time with Christian activities. 
Or yeah, I'll be a Christian and I'll witness to others, but I'll just use my actions. They'll get it, won't they? But friends, that's not an option. Now, 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 of course, there are different levels of maturity and gifting and opportunity, but let's be clear in this passage. Jesus caught them so that they could catch others, and it's the same with us. So leave everything, cast your nets, and finally, trust the master. Trust the master. So 43 years ago, I faced a huge question. Would I follow Jesus Christ? And for me, the cost was clear. I, I understood, and it was explained to me, he would not come into my life simply to redeem me as my Savior, but he would come in to rule me as my Lord. That was made clear to me. And as I explained a little bit earlier, life for me at that point was hard, but it was at least knowable and somewhat predictable. And let's be honest, every one of us in this room loves to be in control, no matter how poor our track record of being in control is. We, we may not captain our boats really well. In fact, our life may regularly be bailing water and sailing through fogs and waves and storms, but at least we're the master. And then Jesus comes along and in his grace and mercy, he says, give me the wheel. And it took me many months to say yes. And to be honest, throughout my Christian life since then, it's been very often a constant wrestle for control. But I can tell you these many years later, with a clear conscience and absolute confidence, that Jesus Christ is the best master you could ever have. You can trust him with your boat and with your life. Because unlike you and me, he knows what he's doing. I mean, friends, look at his character in this passage. He, he's drawn to the uninterested. He overwhelmed weary fishermen with an amazing catch in the midst of their terror, he calmed them, and then he commissioned them. I mean, what a master we have in Jesus Christ. Friends, some of you tonight know that you need to release your hold on the net. But it's so hard. Your, your grip is tight and your hands are trembling. I get it. That was me many years ago and at different points in the years since. Some of you are terrified of giving control of your life to Jesus Christ. I get it. But I got to ask you, how's it working out with you being your own master? See, unlike us, Jesus has never made a mistake. He's never said, ooh, sorry about that one. <laughs> he has never sold anyone out. He will never promise you one thing but deliver another. You can trust him. He's the master. He knows what he's doing. So if nothing else tonight, 
Let go of your net. Let go and start fishing. Let's pray together. Father, what a kind and merciful Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is drawn to people such as Simon and, and James and John and even us in this room tonight. Father, it is a fearful thing for all of us to relinquish control, to have you be the Lord and Master, to leave everything, to cast our nets, and to trust you. Thank you, Father, that again and again in your word, you prove yourself to us. So help us, Father, wherever we are tonight, to deal with Jesus, to leave all behind so that we can follow him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.